this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Anchor. If you don't know what Anchor is and you're thinking about starting a podcast, you should probably find out what Anchor is because Anchor is a free way to host your podcasts. It also gives you creation tools like the ability to record yourself, record with other people, edit as well, and do it from your phone or your computer. You don't need to go buy fancy tools to start. You can start with Anchor. And you can hit the nice distribute button, and it's going to send it out to all the places you want it to be, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and more. In addition to that, you can make money from your podcast with no basic listenership. In other words, if you only have 10 people because you're just starting, you can still monetize that. It's really hard to find a better place to start. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm and get started on the crazy podcast journey. guest episode tomorrow oh nice who mr brendan van Oaken. oh really finally <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of our good friends he finally finally we finally got him on the show you'd think he would be one of the first ones we'd get nope yeah i never do things the way they're expected or no of course not yeah <laughs> it's that rebellious nature i guess <laughs> like screw that i'm not having my friends on i'm Let's gonna do this me. hard <laughs> I'm gonna make life miserable. Let's look for people who are, who've been on not on TV for twenty years. Let's find people I've never heard of. Mm. Actually, that's not a bad idea. Hmm. I have some interesting ideas about guests that I want to experiment with one day. You know, it'd be neat to do mm. to go into a rest home and interview old people. Oh, that would be interesting. I mean, like a war veteran. Of like, you know, it'd be really interesting to to see what their thought is on how the current state of affairs is in the United States. Like people who actually like lived through the the civil rights movement and stuff like that. Yeah, well, I'm sure you you'd get a lot going both ways. You know, because a lot of older people tend to be conservative as well. Sure, true. But well, a I lot of them, a lot of them fought for the change too. Though I know a few older people who who were rebels during that generation you know what i mean and their 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 struggle was very real and i mean don't get me wrong i'm not saying that the, the struggle we're going through currently in our country is not real but you know it, at, at least there's a template for how that's supposed to work um versus for a lot of them where they they were kind of inventing activism as we understand it you know absolutely uh tom and i actually talked about this a little bit on the last episode we're of course talking, did. <laughs> talking about how um Nobody seems to be talking about Gandhi anymore, and that's kind of depressing because nonviolent protest seems to be it doesn't seem to be a topic of conversation anymore, and that's really frightening for me. Yeah. Sure. I mean Gandhi was amazing. Dude, the guy who thought that the guy one dude could get the English government to change the way that they, they ran their colonial governments by walking. Walking to sand walk the sand marches. That's how he did it. And and starving himself. 
Yeah, how long was his fast for? I mean, I feel I feel crappy for not knowing that, but how long did he fast for? Do you have any idea? I don't remember, which is funny because just recently I watched the Gandhi movie, which is actually really good considering it's a white guy playing an Indian guy. Is that Kingsley? Yeah. yeah. That's probably why. He's just a fantastic actor. Yeah, Ben Kingsley's amazing. Sir Ben Kingsley, I'm sorry. I think he's a knight. I believe you're right. How long did Gandhi fast? Good question to know. Let's start with trivia right up here. List. Oh, there was many fasts. Seven days, 14 days, three days, three days, four days, five days, 21 days, seven days, six days, one day, 21 days, seven days, seven days, three days, 21 days, four days, six days. Jeez. Holy shit. That's 17 fasts. That's unbelievable. Huh. Okay. Well, good to know. That was it. You know, I didn't know this. I, I was just reading a book about walking and Gandhi came up in it. Um, something I learned about him that I did not know was that he was a lawyer in South Africa before. Yeah, I, that. Mm-hmm. I had never heard that before. Yep. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, which makes his, his choice to leave his practice and do what he did even more remarkable. Well, yeah. I mean, his practice was civil rights law in South Africa. So, I mean, he, all, I think what he ended up doing was realizing, like, I'm doing all this work. Maybe I should do it for my people. Sure, that makes sense. My family, my friends. Mm-hmm. Not like a, a racist, my people, but uh, <laughs> but more of a people I love, my people. Well, the oppressed more than anything else. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, then, and that was an insane battle just because you're talking about a country, whether they're colonized or not, had a history of a caste system. Sure. Uh, I, actually, I think technically, terrible if I say this and it's wrong, but I think still... Like yeah, caste system. I, I think it's I think it's regional. I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure on that either. But I think it's I think it's there are certain regions that aren't, and certain regions that are. I could be wrong. It could be the entire country. But um, yeah, it's it's crazy to to think that that still exists. I know it. It would be like if feudalism still exists. I mean, it, actually, essentially, it's a lot like feudalism. Sure. You know, you have your peasants, you have your lords. It's kind of similar. It is. It's not that far of a stretch. I mean, actually, you have to wonder if maybe the two are related. It's possible. Maybe the yeah. English brought that over there. I don't know. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt that. I am not an Indian history expert. I should be, though. India is a fascinating country. Sure. With a fascinating history and some of the most amazing people. have Just Gandhi alone. I mean, that's one of... If you're going to make a list of like five of the most important human beings ever lived, he's on that list. I'm I think not so. Gonna, Absolutely. Hands mm. down. No doubt. I think I think breaking up that list into... I mean, not to take away... God, I sound like an idiot for even questioning that. But um, I think it depends on what the struggle is. Mm, I mean, specifically yeah. the, the struggle for human rights. I think it's, you know, definitely... He's definitely top three, actually, from that perspective. But I think when you, when you do the most important humans in human history, you got to consider what they're fighting for as well. Right. Well, I think he he would well, show up there in that case, like Copernicus, or you know, um, he would show up on so many lists. Though. Oh, I mean, sure, sure, sure. Show up on a yeah. statesman list as well. Mm-hmm. One of probably one of the greatest statesmen of all time. I don't know. It's it's definitely an argument that could be made. Let's let's put it that way. Oh yeah, definitely. He's part of the he's part of the conversation for sure. Yeah, and I don't even know. I couldn't even. Yeah, I'm not going to go there. Never mind. Well, it's it's tough because now I'm thinking about all the the important humans who have struggled through things like you know um, Nelson Mandela, um, 
you know, obviously Martin Luther King and, and the like. I mean, yeah, the, the tough part is, at least for me, I think my skew is towards U.S. history. But that's to say that throughout the course of, of U.S. history, there's been a lot of things that have changed here that have forced change elsewhere. You know what I mean? Right. So regardless of how how American-centric, I think my view of history is, I think that in some respects, that's valid because of the, the things that we help to push forward. Yeah. Just, but I don't know that waste any space on the page. I filled it in a month and a few days. So just continuous writing. Life-changing. And that's just an hour a day. And I haven't even gone through to process any of this stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I was actually going to ask that. Like, are you rereading any of it or just plopping it? I'm going to, but right now I'm my, my part of my deal with myself for that 66 days, there's another thing about making habits. They say, once you start to stack habits, when you're building them, you, you negate the ability to do it. You can only build one habit at a time. So until the 66 days are over, I'm not going to worry about it. If I want to read it in those 66 days, I will, but I'm not, I'm not building that habit yet. But when I go through, I, I venture to say that there's probably the equivalent of at least 40 good episodes of a podcast in here and maybe the beginnings of two or three books. Whether any of those things will come to fruit, I don't know, because you don't know what's going to happen afterwards if you can still connect with what you wrote. But that's not the best part about this, is it changes the way you think. Uh, you got to explain that one. What do you mean? Um, hold on. Let me let me tell you one other fact before I forget. So 66 days, I said. I started that on January 20th. So I've been going steady since January 20th. So I'm, I'm not even halfway through yet. Um, so what I mean by it changes the way you think. You know, as well as any of us do, that we have constant stream of thoughts going through our head. They're not necessarily deep thoughts, but there's always thoughts in our head. That's why, you know, the whole idea of meditation is to try to, people say, to try to turn off your thinking, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't know how to do that. We can't turn it off. It's a continuous stream. Yet, even though we have a continuous stream of thoughts in our head, when we sit down to write, we always feel like we have nothing to say. Mm. So there's a disconnect there, right? Sure. And the disconnect, is per, is perception is and that perception is it's tempered by fear of some sort or it's tempered by what i call the internal sensor other people have used that term too i didn't create it when you sit down to write the internal sensor hears the stream but it goes that's dumb that's dumb that's dumb that's dumb that's not worth it that's not worth it that's not worth it don't pay attention to that ignore that ignore that and it blocks everything pretty much, except for what you might think is brilliant. So when you sit down to write, you go, I have nothing to write because the sensor turns on and pushes all that shit out. So by sitting down and forcing yourself to write no matter what for a set period of time every day, you slowly disassemble the sensor. Uh, you erode the filter. And once you start doing that, yes, you get a lot of crap, but you find out that you know a lot more about things than you ever thought you did. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like I, sometimes I'm writing something. I'm like, I never knew I thought that. And I don't mean just like personal stuff. I mean, like almost on everything. Like sometimes I'm writing something. I'm like, 
wow, I remember a lot more about history than I thought I did. Yeah. Just like random things. And it's like, once you break down that sensor, all of the, 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 the nodes start firing again. You know, and then this is not stuff that you're going to like, let me publish it directly as it comes out of there. Most of it comes out as garbage and garbled, you know, bad wording, misspellings, all kinds of shit. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can get those initial pieces, it's like what I've always told you about writing the first draft of fiction. It's going to suck. But you have to get through it because once you have the broken pieces, you can fix them. And then you actually get something. And it changes the way you think because you... Let me give you... I don't know how to do this abstractly, so I'm going to have to actually give you a very tangible example. Sure. Something that I've done, I literally just wrote about this this morning in my journal. So this is fresh. As uh, as the, the Aussies call it, here's some hot chaff. <laughs> the um, There's this thing that I read when I was somewhere in high school, probably freshman or sophomore in high school. I bought Jim Morrison's poetry book, one of his posthumous poetry books called The Wilderness. And in the introduction to it, he made this like, it's probably only probably only a paragraph. This like offhand thing that he says at the beginning about the interview being a new art form. And in particular, he was interested in the idea of the self-interview. And for some odd reason, that little, maybe worthless piece of information stuck with me my whole life. And I don't know how it happened, but over time... It developed into this thing that maybe only a few, until a few years ago I realized I was doing. It's something that would happen internally in my head that I was doing subconsciously that I didn't realize I was doing was I was continually interviewing myself. Like I would be having like a, an interviewer like ask me questions and I would answer these questions and like... uh but it, because I wasn't aware that I was doing it, you know, it's like you have lots of thoughts that you're you're deep in thought, but you're not really conscious of the fact that you're thinking, right? Sure. You're just lost in it. Because of that, I would always have like these like really cool answers to things. At least I thought so, right? Because it's my thoughts. But because I was lost in it, I would only realize like afterwards sometimes, but like, oh, that was interesting. I wish I had written that down. And the tangible example of how my thoughts have changed since then, since doing this, is that because the sensor is off and because I'm continually dipping into that stream of consciousness every day, is I'm more aware when I'm lost in thought now. So, like, for example, today, for the first time ever, I'm in the shower and I had one of those little interview things in my head. And I got out of the shower, and still haven't even toweled off, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, oh, that was really interesting. Oh, I was just having, like, a really deep thought. Like, it's like I'm waking up from a dream almost. I should write that down before I forget it. And I had, like, this, you know, obviously this resistance, like, oh, you got to get, you still got to towel off, you got to get dressed, you got all the way into the other room where the notebook is, you're going to forget it all by then. But I I fought against that, and I was like, you know what, screw it. So I'll catch what I catch. Yeah. And I sat down, and I wrote it, and I got like 80% of it. And when I got to the end of it, I was like, whoa, this is something of substance. 
And if I hadn't been training my brain to continually turn off that sensor, I never would have caught it. Sure. Do you find that in that moment you are, because it's weird for me to believe that you could be fully 50-50 in that mode. Do you find yourself more the interviewer or more the interviewee? Oh, definitely more the interviewee. Mm. The interviewer, um, to be honest, usually I have, the interviewer is usually antagonistic. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) That's not surprising at all. I'm always being interviewed by kind of a douche. Yep. Yep. That makes sense. Those make for really good interviews though, because it's like somebody's trying to gotcha and then you get the gotcha. Well, yeah, you're asking hard questions. And if you're a good interviewer, that's the point of what you're doing it for. So that makes sense. You know, like I think about stuff like that where you you, know, you say something and then my interviewer sometimes would be like, hmm, that's kind of a sexist thing to say. And then mm-hmm. I have to defend myself like, well, that's not what I meant. What I meant was this, blah, blah, blah. You know, like, or, uh, you know, like any other case like that, like the interviewer is really trying to like disassemble me. Yeah, sure. So I have to continually defend myself. But that's what, that's the stuff I want to capture because whatever I'm saying there is an articulation of my actual beliefs. Whatever I'm using to defend myself against this person attacking me is a, a good encapsulation of what I believe about that thing. Mm-hmm. Because you obviously in that situation, you want to use your best ammo against somebody who's attacking you. Sure, sure. But oftentimes, at least for me, these thoughts only exist in my head. I never notice that I'm thinking them, so I never capture them, so they never become something I can actually make into something. Mm-hmm. But if that's my best ammo, that's what I want to catch. Sure. Very interesting. It is an, it is an extraordinary process. I don't even know. I'm so curious how I'm going to feel when I get to the 66th day. How many days deep are you right now? Uh, I don't want to sit here and just count, but I've been going since the 20th of last month. Okay. So that's two weeks about, right? Yeah. Something like that. So 20, 20 days as 10. Yeah. We're a little bit over two weeks. I mean, and and the way you describe it too, obviously, the sixty six is a minimum, not a maximum. It's it's a median, actually. Some habits um, will be are built faster; some are built slower. Mm. So I went for the median. Gotcha. That makes sense because there's no other articulable number. You know, it doesn't say here's the minimum, here's the maximum. It just says on average sixty six. Well, there's a succinctness to sixty six too. Well, what I've, what I've discovered that's really interesting about the 66 is in contrast to the previous belief that it was like 14, some people would say 21 times to build it, some people said 10. What I discovered at those time periods, maybe not the exact ones, but at about those time periods, is that I would be feeling confident about the habit. And then like two or three days later, I'd be struggling to maintain the habit. Oh, interesting. So those are actually false peaks. So that's yeah. why people believe those things were happening. Huh, interesting. That's freaking weird. 66 days is a long time, though, for every day. It, it is and it isn't. Trust me, for writing an hour a day, certain days, it is a very long time. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll give you a tangible version of that. Well, I don't know. Maybe Maybe it's not applicable in the same way, but I went a hundred and... 104, somewhere around there, like between 104 and 107 um, days continuously hitting at least 100 golf balls a day. Jesus. Yeah, it's, it was quite an endeavor. I don't think I've ever told anyone that really. I did it about four years ago. 
there's a great book called The One Thing. Mm-hmm. And it's based off that scene in City Slickers where, do you remember City Slickers? Yep, 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 I do. Jack Balance with the finger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is the meaning of life. Your finger? <laughs> no. One thing. I think it ties into that idea of one habit too, right? You mm-hmm. have one thing that is your priority because that is what the word priority means. Yeah. When people pluralize priority, they're actually not using the word correctly. Yeah. Priority de- denotes one. Exactly. One like, thing. Yeah. Like unique. Unique means one. One yeah. of. The concept of prioritization is picking one thing above all other things. Yeah, exactly. So that yeah. book, the the one thing is about that, you know, like picking your one thing. And then it, it plays into this whole. But it plays back into the idea of the habit. So in order to build that habit, what's really valuable is to make that your one thing for at least mm-hmm. 66 days or whatever, right? Yeah. And there's a strange focus and discipline that comes with that. I've, I've, I have The only thing that I have not succeeded well with is doing it at the same time every day. Mm. And the only advantage to that is it makes it easier. Because if you do it at the same time every day, it becomes more automatic. But if you do it at different times every day, you're having to employ a little more willpower. It's funny. Like, now that we're talking about this, I'm starting to really understand what you mean by it making you think differently. How so? Because now, because now I'm thinking about like the, so so among my golf friends there's there's this common there's this common thing um they always say that i have this weird calm on the golf course like i have this supreme unshakable confidence that's not arrogant in any way it's a it's an unwavering confidence mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and that it comes from that period it comes from me doing that like it's, it's, it's a weird brain state that I get into. That's really different from anything else I do. What I, when I hear that, what that, re- what that relates to is something that I was actually just writing about the other day, the difference between understanding something and knowing something. Mm-hmm. When you understand something, you get it, you know, you get the concept. Like how does a car work? Well, you know, you turn the key and turns on the motor and then the pistons go up and down from the gasoline's exploding. Okay, I get that. But when you take apart an engine and put it back together, you know how it works. Sure. The difference there is getting a concept and the concept incorporating into who you are. Sure. It becomes part of you. It become you've incorporated the knowledge into your into you, who you are. You know, like mm-hmm. I know how to write. I don't just understand how to write. I know how to write, True. but I only understand how to hit golf balls. I you know, don't. It's like know. yeah, it's like me in photography. I know how to take a picture. Yes. Like, and there are plenty of my friends who, it's the same thing with golf. Like I, 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 and it's, it doesn't matter what camera, doesn't matter what environment, doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I, if there is a problem to be solved in photography, I intuitively know the answer. And I think that's what that 66 days does. Well, I took 144,000 pictures in a year. That gives you some idea. 
Exactly. By <laughs> by building by building that by building that daily habit. Although I I would argue that it, depending on what the habit is, it doesn't have to be a daily habit. But sure. by building that, what you're doing is you're you're moving into knowing. You're incorporating it in. Because having to live with it on a continual basis, it becomes part of you. Yeah, it becomes the way you think. Well, it not even becomes the way you think. It becomes. I sorry, I'm. I don't know why I'm paraphrasing something that you said perfectly already, which is dumb. It becomes a part of you. It just becomes a part of you. But I feel like I feel like when people say that, most of the time they're full of shit because they don't actually know what that feels like. Yeah. Well, it's, it's an overused phrase. Yeah. Like when something really becomes a part of you, like to give people a tangible example of what that looks like when it comes to photography for me, I see the world in photography. Like I see the world in ISOs and F-stops and and shutter speeds. Like I automatically walk into a room and my brain, my brain intuitively figures out the color temperature of that room. And I can't even help that. It just does it. And I I know I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, in the state of knowing with photography that you are, Mm -hmm. but I do have a knowing with photography Obviously, like I said, to a lesser degree, but I know exactly what you mean. When I walk down the street and I'm just being normal me, mm-hmm. I see the world differently. But when I have my hand on my phone mm-hmm. and I have in my mind, let's find something to take a picture of. Yeah. Once I turn that on, I see the world different. Sure. I see the world framed. Mm-hmm. And doesn't mean I'm a good photographer. It just means that I understand what it means to see like a photographer. Yeah. And it's not something I actually, uh, let me take that back. I don't understand what it is to be a photographer. I know what it is to see as a photographer. I don't just get it. I know it. Yeah. Now imagine not being able to turn that off. (laughs) That's like me as a writer. I can't turn it off. You almost have to like step away from it for a while. Like, I mean, there's, it's funny because uh, over the last year I've taken very few pictures but I feel like I did that because I needed to. Mm-hmm. It's the same. Yeah. You need a vacation sometimes from the identity. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was. It was starting to become laborious, and that's the point at which I take a step back. Right. Well, that's you know the the interesting thing is probably I don't know at least for a year, maybe not longer. You you do this a lot with photography. You stop identifying yourself as a photographer. Oh yeah. I did the same thing with writer. I was not identifying myself as a writer. I actually moved, you know, like in, in things I would say podcaster first. Cause that was, I, I decided I do that the most. That's, that's what should come first. Mm-hmm. And I was sure. doing so very little writing. But once I started doing this daily writing, I realized for the first time that that is who I am mm. primary to everything else. And the reason for that is, is the way that I feel when I'm doing it is different than everything else in the world. Mm. When I do other things, I enjoy them, which is a good thing, obviously. I like playing the guitar. I enjoy playing the guitar. Yeah. Drawing, I I enjoy drawing. Podcasting, I enjoy podcasting. But when I write, this is not to say that I don't enjoy it, but when I write, it's like the best way I can explain it is like it's like I'm a house and somebody's turned off some of the switches in the breaker box. 
So only 80% of the lights are on. But when I write, it's like somebody turns on the other switches. Like the rest of me is there. Hmm. I, I don't know if I completely agree with that assessment of it. And, and it, I'm only, I'm not to, not to discount what you're saying, obviously, but, but because I know what you're talking about, it, it, like photography is the same feeling for me where it's not even that someone switched on the rest of the light switches. It's that in that, in that moment in doing that thing, I become me. Yes. That's what I mean. Yeah. That there's you know? your, it's almost like you've been moving around as a, I don't want to say an imitation of you, but a, that's why I say the lights thing. You've been walking around as a partial version of yourself. Sure. 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 But you become complete. Like it's, it's like all of a sudden you're doing it. And you're like, Oh yes, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. Sure. And and you could be like in my case, I could be writing something complete garbage, but I feel myself. Sure. Like I, I imagine that, like you know, like uh, I don't know, like for uh, like LeBron James when he's playing basketball, that's probably how he feels. Mm-hmm. Where it's like this is this is me. This is the expression of me. God, do you remember back in the the Wrecking Crew days? Like even then, every single day I had a camera with me. Yeah, I didn't go anywhere. Even when I was getting shit faced drunk, I would have my camera with me. Yep, didn't matter. On the porch while we're standing there talking, drinking beers, I would I would have my camera. Yep, it's funny. We can try to hide from it, but <laughs> it always comes back around because you know what? We're we're completely unhappy. The first thing I unpacked when I moved into my new place was my camera gear. The first thing I did when I got my brand new job, which I literally started yesterday, was I brought a camera into that office and it didn't feel right until the camera was there. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how that works. You want to know something interesting that I discovered too? Hmm. I don't know if you have this bad habit uh, from when you were when you were writing a lot. Did you ever... In all the time you did writing, let's just let's see how we compare on this. Maybe we might have two different perspectives on this, which would be interesting. In all the time you wrote, did you ever finish a notebook? Or did you just abandon notebooks? I abandoned notebooks all the time. Me too. Okay, so yeah. we're not going to have a difference of opinion here, but we are going to be able to share what's it. Funny, what's funny, though, is that I there were times where I would get almost all the way to the end and then abandon it. That's the biggest time to abandon it. Absolutely. You got only like 20 pages left. Get rid of it. Yeah. Move like, on to the next notebook. one. <laughs> yeah, totally. So I don't know if this is the same why? for you. Why is that a thing? I figured out why it was a thing for me is because I wasn't writing very much, right? It was like whatever I was putting in there, it was taking me a long mm-hmm. time to get through it. So when I would get to a certain point, I would start to shiny object syndrome. Right. It's like, oh, this isn't working out. You know, obviously, if I was like completely driven to write, I'd just be filling it. Right. Yeah. Sure. But because I sure. wasn't filling it, I would be feeling friction. And I did, that friction was uncomfortable. So, what I decided subconsciously was that the way to get rid of that friction was to get rid of the notebook that was giving me the friction uh, to remove, mo- the, remove the physical object that was creating the friction. Yeah. Get rid of the discomfort. 
get the new thing fresh, you know, like fresh start. That was, that's the big phrase that would pop through my head. Fresh start. When I, I'm going to, I'm going to really do something different with this notebook. It's just paper. The experience is not going to be any different, (laughs) but it was that it's for me, it was always that like it was running from that discomfort of like, I'm not writing enough. Yeah. I'll tell you, since I started doing this, you know, what I've been doing. I, I finished that that notebook that we talked about, right? And what I've been doing since then is going around and finding all the notebooks I didn't finish and filling up all the blank pages in all of them. That is hilarious. So, like, I'm going to have, like, 15 notebooks on my shelf that are going to be, like, 2016 to 2021 <laughs> with a huge four-year gap in between, like... That's so weird. But it's, it, like, it's you, perfectly you good like- paper. Do you, do you feel like it's just principle now? Like you're just going through and like you're, it's almost like a, a, a thumb in the air at yourself. It's, I, there's probably a part of it, but it's more like I'm just looking around going, I'm tired of looking at this stack of notebooks that are unfinished and have such a small stack over there of notebooks that are finished. But if I went and finished all the pages on all these, that stack would be bigger than this one. And that's sure, pre- for sure. And there's also a part of me that's just being very practical. Like you paid money for the damn notebook and there's still good pages in there. It's just paper. Fill it. Yeah. Don't waste it. Sure. Because the reason I would, um, perp- I don't know about for you, but the when a lot of them, at least recently, since I started dating everything that I write, I would never go back and write in those blank pages because I was like, oh, they're out of order if I do that. Yeah. 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 No, that would drive me crazy. Sure. But since I don't care about that anymore, since anything that I want, anything that's valuable eventually makes it into a digital format, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter to me. Oh, sure. Because when I move it to the computer, it'll be chronological. In yeah, the computer. like who cares? Yeah, yeah, sure. That makes sense. So that's, that, that's, um, it's been interesting just jumping. Like right now, I'm reading, I'm, I'm writing in a, it's basically an eight and a half by 11 blank sheet notebook. <laughs> which is just oh my god pure chaos because it's like oh i apparently i can't write a straight line without lines yeah i mean that it it bothers me to even hear you say that it's it like hard. freaks me out slightly it's like dude like <laughs> like just imagining that like the, the the chaos would freak me out i'm just fighting against it because it's just pure chaos anyways yeah no that going. makes sense i mean yeah yeah no i, I understand i understand that the letting go aspect of that like Sometimes you just got to let, like, there was, there was a period of time when I was making excuses for myself in, in photography. It was really early on. I mean, it wasn't, this is, it's been like 10 years since this has been the case, but like, if I didn't have the right gear, I just didn't take the picture. I'm like, dude, you're a fucking idiot. Figure out how to take the picture with what you've got, you know, regardless of how crappy, if you have a a crappy point and shoot, you know, you've got paper towels, you've got a jacket, you've got a flashlight, you've got whatever you've got in your at your disposal to get as close as you can to the picture that you want to produce instead of taking no picture at all. And the point is taking any picture, regardless of how close it is to what your expectation of what you can produce is, is better than not taking a picture at all. Absolutely. And actually completely in line with that, that's what I've been doing with the when I do the free write sessions. I have mm-hmm. a rule. No looking shit up. Mm. Oh interesting. Because I'm here to write, not research. Yeah, true. You're not you're not here to look at a dictionary, sure. If you get to something and I can't remember it, I've gotten into the habit of writing look this up later and moving on. You know, like mm-hmm. can't remember this person's name. Find it later when you type these notes. <laughs> it's like problem for future Homer. <laughs> <laughs> Move on. 
And your your oh, purpose here is just to move the pen. And you know uh, what I forgot to tell you too. In that time that I filled that notebook, I went through a complete, uh, I've completely dried out a big pen, and had to fill a fountain pen three times. Oh man, that's Jesus. a lot of ink. I that actually, is a lot of ink. I actually because of that and how much I'm writing, I went back to using Bix because for a while I was like, well, maybe I should go back to using my fountain pen. I got annoyed with having to fill my fountain pen every day or two. So I was like, I'm going back to the big. At least that lasts like a week and a half, two weeks. <laughs> yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, it's been fun. I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's funny because it, it feels so foreign to me until I find that 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 linking moment of tangibility where I've done a similar thing. Like in you in you describing something like your your journey with writing recently, I'm like, oh, that sounds crazy. And so I'm like like, wait, I, I literally did that. It just wasn't writing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just a different thing. It's sure. like the book, the one thing. Everybody has the one thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's and oh man, I got we got to go down this rabbit. I know we do you do you have to leave anytime soon? I know we've been going for a while. Well, I've got to be up in like eight hours. <laughs> okay, let's go about like ten minutes more. Well, oh. I, I have one last thing to add to that, which is yes. Um, if you do it long enough, like the golf thing, for example, after those those one hundred and four days. I knew that it would be a part of my life forever. Same thing with the photography thing. The moment, you know, like I, I did photography so continuously for so long that now I know, I don't even, I, it's not something I have to try to aspire to. I'm going to be a photographer, whether I like it or not. And regardless of how much I try to personally resist the idea of being a photographer, deep down, I know that it's just in my nature now. You know, what's interesting, you reminded me, this isn't the thing that I wanted to talk about, but you reminded me of something I realized too is, there's a, at least for me, there was a war between perception and reality. Um, oh, sure. Maybe that's a bad way to say it. Actually, that, that's not, that's kind of too abstract. Writing in my head meant two things, but I didn't realize it meant two things. So I had been operating under this principle that it meant one thing only, or that, um, or that both things were the same thing. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a better way to say it. I'll, I'll I'll tell you what I meant so that it makes more sense. In my head for so long, when I would say writing, when I would tell people I'm a writer, or I would think about writing, it would be with like a capital W, which would be, I make books, you know, like writing, you know, like it was, it was, um, outcome focused. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Right. It was about what, what you make. But now I realized that, I'm not necessarily, in, until I actually put out books, I'm not a capital W writer. I'm a lowercase w writer. In other words, it's the mechanics of writing. It's the process that's important to me. And that if nothing ever comes out of these notebooks, I will still feel complete. Because the process of writing in them is what completes me. Mm-hmm. But I didn't realize that those were two different things. Which which kind of plays into what I was going to tell you about. I wasn't going to talk about this because I thought it was like too big of a subject, but I can't not tack it onto this because it fits with all this stuff. It would be weird to bring it up again because we'd have to rehash all this. But there's a guy named Jim Collins who wrote a, good, a book called Good to Great. And he had this concept. Well, I shouldn't say he had it, but he observed a concept in his research, something called the flywheel. And this is 
a lot of people use this in the context of uh, of business. Like, for example, the Disney flywheel, the Amazon flywheel. What a real flywheel is, is, you know, the, the hand crank that you crank on an old mm-hmm. engine. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea is the more the more that you crank that thing, the easier it gets. You know, the first when you first start, it's very hard because it has no momentum. But as you crank that hand, that hand crank, the gear and the gears start moving, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And you're building up more and more energy. Sure, sure. So the idea, um, my my perception of that always, because I've, I'd heard the concept before, my perception was always wrong. My perception on that was always that, like, make sure that all the stuff you do is connected in some way. Um, I'll use myself as an example. If my podcast is about books, then I should post about books. <laughs> and my newsletter should have quotes from books. You understand what I'm saying? Everything yeah, that yeah, you, no, I get what you're saying. All of your outputs connected, right? Like that there was some magical benefit to that of some sort. Yeah, you're trying to make you're trying to make all the things you do like forcefully intersectional. And I thought that's what a flywheel was, because if you look at like a diagram of somebody's flywheel, that's kind of what it looks like. Mm-hmm. But there was this missing component to it that I didn't understand. And I heard someone talking about his concept, and then I listened to an interview. Um, he, he listened to him talk to Tim Ferriss. It's like an old-ass interview. And all of a sudden, I saw something. Well, actually, the, the email that I read pointed out that specific thing. And it's that a flywheel isn't about what I thought it was about. A flywheel is about inevitability. And the best way that I can compare this is the way that I learned about writing scenes. When you write a scene in, for example, a movie, the next scene that comes should feel inevitable. That what happened in the last scene should necessitate whatever happens in the next scene. For sure. so, for example, a husband finds out his wife cheated on him. The next scene is him confronting her. Because when you watch the next scene, you go, of course, this is the next scene. Because where else would you go from the last one? He's not sure. going to go to Disneyland after the last one. The flywheel is the same thing. It's the idea of creating a chain of inevitability. Because I, um, because I read a lot of books, it's inevitable, depending on the person you are, that eventually I would want to talk about those books. So I could make YouTube videos about the books I've been reading. And then the next step is inevitable from that and that and that. And then the idea is that eventually they loop back around at the beginning and there's your flywheel. And the point of the flywheel is that when you can figure out that flywheel, goes back to this one, the one thing, if you pour all of your effort into that one thing, into that first thing in the flywheel, everything else happens. So you maximize your output by focusing your in, input. Not your input, but mm. focusing your effort. Yeah, yeah, sure. So you can put all your energy into one thing, and all the other things will happen because they're inevitable. Mm. So for me, what I've discovered is writing in these notebooks, that's the beginning of my flywheel. Because I get, if all I do is all I, I make sure that every day, that's all I do, and that's all I care about. And I'm happy as long as I get that done. A weird thing happens. Sometimes I write something and I'm like, 
oh, I should make a podcast episode of that. Boom, I have a podcast episode. Sometimes I'm writing and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should uh maybe I should put that down into my notes as a book idea. Boom, that goes over there. Oh, maybe that and all these things happen, but I'm not putting effort to make those things happen. All my effort is in the journal. And that is the last part about why it's life-changing. Because as long as I do that, everything else happens. It's really weird. I'm thinking about the best way to simplify that as a thought. Like it's, it's, it's akin to inevitability, but it seems more like, like causality in a sense. You know what I mean? Well, and yeah, I don't know. Inevitability is the word that they use. It's not my word. Sure. It's, it's just, inevitability is a really good word for it because it's like, it happens whether you will it to or not. Mm, sure. But it's not, it's only certain things, right? You know, it's like somebody else who reads a lot of books, the next inevitable thing might not be making YouTube videos because maybe they have no interest in YouTube. They have no skill in YouTube. So that's not even on their menu, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. For them, it could be because I write so many, I read so many books, inevitably I wrote one. You know, like for everybody, the inevitable steps, but it's being able to recognize. It's not about being able to recognize those things. It's about the first thing. Because the other things happen on their own. Sure. Because they fit into the slots of your knowledge and your, and your experience on their own. Right. You know, you're not, you're not having to craft them. And, well, and also your, also your specific interest too. Yeah. Because not everyone's path through that is going to be same or even similar necessarily. Exactly, but like to com- to to compare this to how doing it the the way you know the, the other thing that I thought about this is like the big the big thing about it is like when I was doing uh, this um, imaginary me, I never actually did this, but you know I said I read a lot of books, therefore, um, whatever the three things I said I was, therefore I, I write reviews of books, and therefore I do newsletter with quotes, right? Mm-hmm. Say those are the only three things I did. Those were actually three separate things. So each of them was only getting 33% of my power. Sure. So I was dividing myself. But when you get the flywheel, you might end up with those same results. You might end up literally with those same things if you know what the first step is. Mm-hmm. Because yes, you already know how to do a newsletter. And yes, you already know how to write reviews. But if you put all your energy into, in that case, reading the books, those things might happen no matter what. Sure. But you don't know, you know, like it could be something completely different. Like, you know what? Maybe quotes in my newsletter isn't the right thing. Or, you know what? Maybe I want to be on radio. Well, it loops back around to something that I think we talk about on a fairly regular basis in different ways, which is you can't force what comes next. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, you know what you, I mean? And, and the more you try to force it, the less productive and the less happy you're going to be with whatever it is that does come. That's why I stopped, because I knew that you were going to say it. <laughs> that's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> Once I noticed that we both started the sentence the same way, I was like, oh, he's got it. There you go. He's headed there. There he goes. He's got it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really fascinating that I think that so many people, and it's not just, uh, I don't think this is just creatives. 
I think this can be applied to business as well. You know, obviously the flywheel thing is meant for business. The idea, the metaphor is that the, mm-hmm. you spend so much time, but like, look at Google. As long as Google nails search, everything else becomes inevitable for them. Sure. Because everything else is, is like an extension of it. Um, yeah. There was a really good example of inevitability that I can't think of right now. But it was like, um, you know, because like, here's an example of something I just think of in my head. Because we're a book publisher, well, it's kind of inevitable that we also happen to make bookmarks. It's not a big thing, but yeah, it makes sense because if people are going to buy a book, they might buy a bookmark. We might as well make both. Mm. But all you have to do is put your energy into that and then go, hey, you know what? We're all we're at it. While we're printing stuff, we have paper, we have all these things. Might as well print those bookmarks. And it's, <laughs> it's fascinating how I was doing things wrong for so long and why I was always so unhappy. It's because I was always splitting myself. Sure. So I was literally fighting against myself. Just diverting energy into things that just that you felt like you needed to do, but weren't the right things to do. Well, I was continually trying to stack things to try to like build momentum or something like that because I was always continually exhausted, and mm-hmm. I was always oh, sure. continually sacrificing one thing for the other. You know, like um, like when we first started podcasting, I was also doing YouTube. Remember? Oh yeah, sure. So how many times I would have to push one, you know, like I have to push the editing of this YouTube video because I'm recording a podcast right now. It was always about pushing one thing and trying to make them work. But when you can just put all the energy in that one thing and have the other things happen, Mm -hmm. you don't have to go through that anymore. It becomes very freeing. Yeah. All right, my friend. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Yep. Bye. Bye. This is the podcast version of It Matters But It Doesn't, which is also available in blog and newsletter form. So if you would like to reference the original post or leave a comment, you can do so at itmatters.substack.com, where you can also subscribe to the newsletter version. And when you get there, you will also discover that there are both free and paid subscriptions available. The paid subscribers will help to pay for the work that I do to write these episodes. And they will also allow me to keep this free for those who can't afford to support right now. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you when I see you. my two conversations <laughs> where it's like, well, we couldn't have continued that because the amount of work it took to do those episodes, you didn't have the time to do the artist profiles and the other stuff that we were doing. It was just too much responsibility for going into an episode. Mm-hmm. And that's what I have to remind myself of. I'm like, oh yeah, that was a nice, huge peak. Like we were on a trajectory there, but it was a trajectory that I don't know that I wanted to stay on. I sure. like the way the show is now. Yeah, yeah, sure. And it's 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 more difficult to explain to people <laughs> because you know, like, oh, we 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 study artists and then we talk about what we learn from them. That's a really easy explanation of a show. Mm-hmm. What do you guys do on this show? We talk about what anything we want. <laughs>
<laughs> and it could be an artist profile or it could be just what we had for breakfast. Right. I mean, think but, about what this episode is. I mean, we never, we had no idea we were going to talk about this shit. <laughs> the only thing I came in with was, oh, I need to talk about that ownership again. Literally the only thing I came in with. So, so far we're doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'd say this is pretty solid thus far. So, I mean, I, th- I, I mean, think, but I, but I think that also gives us the capacity to be so much more real within the scope of the show. And I, I, I think I like that a lot more instinctively. You know it's I mean? so much more fun. It's so much more entertaining for us, for you and I, to do mm-hmm. these episodes than the other ones. You know, because we're more relaxed and we're more ourselves. I, I feel like we're not putting on a persona to do these episodes. Oh, definitely not. I mean, I'm in my underwear, Chad. Yeah, well, that could be your persona. That's you true. Weird touching himself guy. <laughs> Oh, I, please don't. Oh, man. I'm thinking about running for public office. I hope that never gets out. <laughs> I didn't say you are. I said you could be. Yeah, but you know how that works in the current news cycle, man. Yeah. Which well, is a whole different topic altogether, but sure. Good Lord. The current news cycle is just a bunch of t- latte just went outside. If you could hear that. I don't know how, my, how well the microphone picked that up. But yeah, the current news cycle. Yeah, not a topic that we want to talk about. Yep, I heard. I heard it was like a very small cowbell. Oh, we need more cowbell. You always need more cowbell. Thank you, Christopher Walken. Uh, I miss Saturday Night Live from that era. It was good for a little bit, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I still instinctively, I, I still think there's definitely like um, good pieces in there. Like, I never. I mean, it's Lauren Michaels and it's the cast of Saturday Night Live. There's definitely some brilliance in there. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe there was just a golden age and a, a magic group, um, you know, the, the Dan Aykroyd, Eddie Murphy era. And then quickly following that, the Kevin Nealon and um, Phil Hartman era uh, with Dana Carvey and Mike Myers and everybody else. Remember that group? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was well, a special group of performers. Lauren Michaels is a good person to bring up right now, actually. Because talking about like owning something... If Saturday Night Live was just pure chaos, and if that guy hadn't been like, "All right, this is my thing," it wouldn't be what it is. Yeah, that's true. On as long as it did, mm-hmm. that's that's the thing. Like when you really start to like take this idea, so I've been just kind of swallowing it and going, "Okay, yes, this is." You know, it also means clearing things out, but you start to look at the people that you respected, and we think about talent a lot, but talent is such a small piece of the puzzle. Of why people succeed at things. Oh, I completely agree with that. I think it's almost the most unimportant thing. Um, I think it's a good catalyst. Like I think about the, the things that I've both succeeded at and the things that I've not succeeded at in my life. And it's funny because the things I have an innate talent for, I haven't succeeded very much at all. But the things in which I just work my ass off, I totally succeeded way more. <laughs> well, I think that the talent doesn't... Uh, it's weird to say, but the talent doesn't make you unique. No, of course not. Like if you're a if you're a good guitar player like Jimi Hendrix, guess what? At that time there were probably other guitar players just as good as him. Eric mm-hmm. Clapton. What made him unique and what made Clapton unique or whatever is what they did with it. You know how many how many people are in their bedrooms right now that are just as good if not better guitar players than those two guys but are going nowhere. Sure. Because they they don't they don't own it. 
You well, think, think about think about the, the guest you just had on, um, Julie, right? I, I I personally, and she's a fantastic model. So, Julie, I'm sorry if you're hearing this and you're and and this sounds wrong, but I definitely <laughs> think a much much better guitar player than she is a model. But damn, she's a really successful model because she works her ass off at it. You know what I mean? But she's such a talented guitarist, and very few people actually know that. You know, she's not just a guitarist; she's like a, a shreddy metal guitarist with incredible chops. Right? How many people? How many people on Instagram? Like she gave this example on that episode too. You know, how many? There's there are so many people who have no idea that she's ever even picked up a musical instrument, much less shredded in a metal band. Right. Well, I think that that's a lot of the stuff when you think about. Uh, musicians that are successful you find behind that there are other things that maybe they're even better at sure like oh look at anthony bourdain is a great example not a musician but anthony bourdain was mediocre chef he would Mm -hmm. say it himself he was not a great chef Mm -hmm. he was a pretty good writer Uh, and he would have been a hell of a director too I mean, honestly, like I, 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 I watched a bunch of the episodes of the various shows that he did and all of his influences, you know, all the people that, that I personally loved in, in, in the various um, directorial homages that he did in his shows, like, you know, guys like um, Chris Doyle and, and Wong Kar Wai. I mean, these, these, these musical, or I'm sorry, these film people that I have such a phenomenal respect for. And he, he essentially had the same influences. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like... What did he work at? What did he? What did he put himself in the position to do? To be a personality, sure. And if you asked him, that's probably the thing that he was the worst at. He probably thought that he was terrible at it. Oh man, he. But he loved it though. Uh, I don't know. He killed himself because of all the traveling. So I'm not sure if he loved it. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, it's it's hard to know somebody's heart. I'm just throwing that out there. But the things that are very apparent aren't always the things that succeed. You know, like he is not as popular, we'll say, which is actually writing. Mm. Um, And there's three forms of writing as well because things happen in steps. So you have notes, journaling, and what I'm calling authoring. I'm calling it authoring because I already used the word writing. (laughs) I didn't want to have it there. Writing, writing, and writing. Yes, but three different kinds. Um, so first of all, for notes, this goes back to what you were saying before. Like when you're watching TV, if you have this idea, the thing is going to force it out. That's why it's always important for me to have a scratch piece of paper and a pen mm-hmm. yeah. within reach. Yeah. Because uh, you know, maybe you're really into the show, but you have an idea. Cool. Write it down yeah. and go back to the show. I started keeping a pen in my wallet years ago in high school. Exactly. I want to Fisher Space Pens. If it's right in where the wallet folds, doesn't break or anything when you sit down, it's gold. And I have, you've seen my wallet. It's a little tiny notebook with a Fisher Space Pen attached to it. Yeah, see? Yeah. And this is important so you can grab those things, right? You want to grab, but those are obvious things too. What's the reason I use the term scratch paper too is because you don't want this to be like your journal or your diary. Because these things, you need this to be able to be messy. It's oh. got to be a piece of paper you can fucking throw anything at. In my probably... Let's see. Early 20s. I was like doing that a lot where I just... I would have like receipts 
all the fucking in my car. If I went to drive through, I'd stuff the receipt like in the, I, even still now, I just have a shit ton of fucking random pieces of paper and envelopes and shit in my car. But it's like, that's all I did back in the day was like anything I could write on. And it was just everything, any blank piece of paper I had, had something written down on it. Um, you know, when I was feeling at my height of my, um, you know, freedom out of high school and being like, I'm a, I'm a creative. And I'm just like, any thought was fucking in my head was gold, but most likely they were not. Um, but yeah, no, that's, it was the most, I think the most in tune and like content I'd felt with feeling like I was, I had a handle on um, how I was thinking and feeling at that time, because it was like, I was doing all of that. I was I was listening. I was inputting. I was fucking journaling. I was writing. I was fucking doing it all. When the physical act of writing, this has been proven scientifically. I don't have the research in front of me, but <clears throat> writing cements things in your mind more. So, mm-hmm. like, uh, if you have things to do today, it's great to have an app. Um, I'm not going to say anything bad about productivity apps and calendar in phones and stuff because uh, you can search them and they will alert you so you don't forget things. Paper can't do that. But you always so probably should be writing them down. Yeah. You know, like, what do I have to do today? Write that down. Why? Because it's putting it into a different place in your mind. Now, when you take that same functioning, you take that same part of your brain and you apply that to ideas and stuff like what we're talking about like why can't i connect um the lack of computers here with what it means for the universe in stranger things why can't i can can connect those two things mm-hmm. well the more you're writing down things like you're saying on a in our scrap in our scrap notebooks or on a receipt or on an envelope or on an index card that's just laying there Every time you're doing that, you're bringing those things into your brain in a more active way. So they're going to be more accessible to you. So you're going to be able to, you know, like how many times have you written something down? Like, I got to write this down so I don't forget it. But then you never forget it. Well, because, yeah, there's a physical connection to what it is. Exactly. And you're taking action. Yeah. Which moves you out of passive into active, which is one of the biggest obstacles with the difference between system one and system two is system one for the most part, actually not for the most part, is passive. It happens without your will. System two requires will. You have to will that thought. You have to will yourself into that process. And it's also really important when... this This one is the most... Actually, one more thing about being messy and disorganized. I forgot. This is one of the dangers of buying really fancy notebooks is something I've faced personally. You don't want to put messy things in there or you don't want to write or have to scribble something out and yeah. because it's a nice notebook. Right. You're trying but, to get it to feel like a, a actual printed, something that people would go and pick off a shelf and read. Yeah. Like, oh, if I died and somebody picked this up, they'd think I was cool. Yeah. Which to some degree, anybody that's buying a fancy journal and writing in nice handwriting in it, even if they're not consciously thinking, they're probably subconsciously thinking that. And those are great. I'm not going to say anything about that because that's where I do my journal and my diary, whatever word you prefer. I do that in there, in one of those. But this scratch paper, as I've referred to it multiple times, this is just for 
doing all the stuff before the computer, think about all the shit you used to do where it's like, okay, oh, grocery list on here, on this corner of the paper. Then I did a little small little math thing right here. You know, maybe I did a little multiplication. Mm-hmm. And then over here, I just wrote out some band name ideas and then scribbled out three of them. What you, what you end up with on the paper is not important, but you needed the paper to be able to do the things that you were doing, like the band name thing. It was the process of crossing things out. Yeah. You're never going to have to look at the list and go, what did I cross out? You just used it to get to a, you know, so you're using it as a tool. So that's why having it be, having it able to do that is important too, because it's not just about capturing, it's about actually thinking on the paper. And go ahead, go ahead. No, no, say it's because you are actually like when you say you scratched it out, it's like you only, not only did you scratch it on a bit, but you were literally scratching it out of your head. It was like, yes, exactly. It was like on your fucking like people that, you know, on the iPhone, you're hold something, you swipe it over and that little delete fucking button pops up. You hit that. It's the same fucking thing. Um, But it's having that physical, for me, it's having that physical connection to something that was in my head. I've now seen it physically manifest on something that I can touch and I can pick up, I can tear it up, I can burn it, I can crumple it and throw it away, I can eat it. You know, it's like that makes whatever it is part of reality and for me it's important to always remember that i am in at least i think i am in a reality and so by making like that something, stranger thing thing stranger thing thing stranger thing, thing, things thing uh, article reality is analog yeah no a hundred percent and by re- remaining grounded in the analog um way of doing things is i feel like it helps understand and utilize the non-analog things properly and in the right way and at the right times. Um, Because you understand that, and I feel like you're reminded um, and kept aware at all times that if all of the, the digital, you know, stuff goes away and it can easily can, you're still able to function and exist beyond that back into the real world, which, Mm. you know or it doesn't work and you don't like if you're working on a book and it's just not working and you're like this isn't the book i want to write if Mm -hmm. you told people you're going to write it you're going to make yourself try to at least pretend like you're still working on it because you don't want the public embarrassment of going guess what it didn't work sure so interesting if it's private you can just say oh this doesn't work boom move on to the next one Mm -hmm. and nobody will know you know how many how many great novelists out there you know, they have five, ten books. They probably wrote the exact same. Yeah, that they're. Um, I guess the word would be they're aligned. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the notes they're, align. They're not. They're not perfect, but they're aligned. They're close yeah. enough that it works. Well, and I feel like when something goes askew in one or the other, we use the other to set the the the. If there's something wrong with the internal one, then we use the external one as a benchmark to fix the internal one and vice versa. Maybe that, maybe it isn't a chicken or the egg thing. Maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing. Maybe it's, that's what I was thinking. Maybe it's a chicken and an egg. Like maybe they, they operate concurrently and the most, the most sure you can be as a person is when they, they, this is why I've always inherently believed that the most at peace you can be as a human being is when your conscious and your subconscious agree. Hmm. 
You know, that's also what I think about is how this note-taking system that I've been using makes sense in a way that nothing else has because uh-huh. it's it's literally about making connections. Mm. Interesting. And that is, I mean, we, we say this as conversations about thought. That is the core of thought. Thought yeah, is yeah. making connections, right? So that sure. is the inter- it, the internal structure of the mind is a lattice work. And so I guess, I mean, and it's, it's not, not coincidental at all. I mean, I, I realize that I actively do this is that my external structure very much matters. Like I'm trying to reproduce the structure in my brain, in my external world, in my physical reality. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the first time in my life that I've been conscious of the fact that I've been doing it. And the more, the closer I get to it, the happier I am. You, you, what you remind me of right now is the, the idea of when, when you walk into someone's bedroom, we'll say, mm-hmm. what you see there is a physical representation of their mind. Yeah, sure. You know, like the people, I, I was one of these people too, but the people who have piles of clothes and stuff all over, mm-hmm. their brain is working that way too. Yeah, sure. And the people who have everything in the perfect spot they're probably like that internally too. Or at the very least, they're striving for that. Yeah. I I live somewhere in the middle between the two of those. Yeah, same here. But I do think that the more I move towards that, we'll say minimalist organizational structure, Mm -hmm. the better I feel. Yeah. So that is, I guess that is an example of the fact that internal structures and external structures are completely connected. No, I mean, there's, there's, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very tangible that way. Like I, I know, for example, that I need a little bit of chaos. Chaos makes me happy. Mm. And, and I wouldn't, I, I, it's not like the world teaches me to think otherwise, you know, the, 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 every book that you read and every person you talk to that advises you on this kind of stuff, say that you need like time and, you know, um, routines and structure and all that kind of stuff. And I don't disagree with that. I definitely have most of those things in my life, but I also enjoy a little bit of chaos, man. I do. I think that I don't like being bored in my brain. Yeah. See you, you see, that's how you develop challenge. Yeah. In in the time that I've known you, that's how you develop challenge is you, you induce chaos. Yeah, I do. For I've me, gotten better at it. I don't. I don't destroy the world anymore with it, but I definitely yeah. still do it. <laughs> I used to be a, a chaos inducer, mm-hmm. but now I am a puzzle inducer. Mm. I look for the puzzle. Like, um, here's a great example. Like, I had. I was on a walk today, and while I was walking, <clears throat> I'm in the habit of any time I think of something, obviously, just kind of take it down. Little nut, mm-hmm. little idea. That way, I can continue with my walk or whatever without. If you don't, if you don't write something down on a walk, you know how you have to keep it warm in your mind. Yeah, sure. You just keep repeating it over and over again until you get home, so you don't yeah. forget. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm walking, and <clears throat> I had just put out the first book episode of Semi Literate because I did an introductory episode, and then I did. A book episode, which is um, "Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends on It" by Kamal Ravikant, and what I had done in there, I wanted to 
I, I gave like a really quick breakdown of some of the core concepts in the notes for that. Mm-hmm. And then there were two visual things that I had mentioned. I put them in the notes, you know, like I always think about what would I, if I was a listener, what would I want to find if mm-hmm. I listen to this? Yeah. But in the middle, I had made a list of links to some other things that came up in the episode that aren't part of the book, but came out of me in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, by the way, this idea reminds me of Edward Cooey. I thought it would be nice, like,